Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it. Finds Ward and there's his game winner. On the move, on the way. Tucker will score. Sean Tucker with a touchdown. Gillen. Got it. Terry, you win. Are you serious? Five down. One to go. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with episode 27 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast with an all-new intro, by the way. I hope you all enjoyed that. Presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. And I am here with the mastermind behind the intro, the one and only legendary Kyle F. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. You know, it feels nice to have the new intro done. Uh, got a lot of fun clips in there. Hopefully the fans all enjoy that. Uh, I found some uh, personal faves uh, and felt real good. Um, because it masks the pain I'm feeling from watching this basketball team attempt to play defense. Uh, it feels good to have something go, go well in life. We're back in better than ever, a new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Believe50, B-L-E-A-V 50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. I mean, we're going to say a lot of the same things that, that we've said uh, in the past. Um about this team regarding this game, but you know, let's, let's go right into it. Syracuse versus Miami. Syracuse goes up by 18 points late in the first half. They dominate the entire first half. They're up by 14 going into halftime. Syracuse played as good a half of basketball as it had all season. They were active defensively. They were making shots. They were sharing the ball incredibly well, getting open shots for everybody, um, making those shots. Jesse Edwards was dominant inside on both ends. Um, It looked like something had finally clicked and that this team was starting to become the team that was a little bit hyped in the off season. Uh, That's how they looked. That's how good they looked in the first half. And then the second half had to happen, which, you know, I think Syracuse should petition the NCAA that you only need to play one half of basketball, but you know, we can, we can cross that bridge at some other point. Um, so Miami comes out, hits two quick threes to sit the start of the second half to cut the lead to eight. Miami had all the momentum. Syracuse couldn't stop it. Syracuse kept turning the ball over. Miami continued to surge. They took the lead, ended up going up by about six or eight at one point. Syracuse trying to play catch up for the rest of the half and uh, had the ball a couple times when it was a one possession game, but could never really get it back to a tie game or taking the lead back. And Syracuse ends up losing 88 to 87. This was not a a one point game where Syracuse had a shot up 
that could have won the game or Miami hit a buzzer beater. You know, Syracuse hit a bunch of threes in the final 30 seconds, probably three or four threes in the final 30 seconds that um, made it a little bit closer than, than probably what it was. But regardless, Syracuse falls to seven and seven on the season. It is the worst 14 game stretch in Jim Beheim's illustrious coaching career. And I'll just react to it this way. If you had told me before the game that Syracuse is going to shoot a higher percentage than Miami while making the same number of baskets, they're going to make six more three-pointers than Miami and shoot a higher percentage from three, out-rebound Miami, have three players score over 20 points. Jesse Edwards is going to have seven blocks to set a career high. And Joe Girard is only going to turn the ball over one time. I I think Syracuse wins that game by double digits, if not more. And yet here we are talking about another game where they blew a halftime lead and more frustration from Syracuse fans. This just hurts in terms of having a loss so far this season this might be the one that hurts the most. And that this may be an overreaction because it's just, just happened. But in terms of like going off of kind of what you said, if you told me Buddy Beheim would have been our fourth highest scorer, I would have been like, oh yeah, we're winning this game. Like Buddy Beheim being our fourth highest, we said last time we need other players to create and score. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, Edwards, Gerard, and Swider, each 20 plus. That's amazing. At that point, we're dandy, we're sorted. This was everything that could have gone wrong in the second half went completely sideways. I don't even know if you can count it as being sideways. It was that bad. Um, I just, it hurts to be a Syracuse fan. And this is one of those days it does. Because again, we did well. We looked great that first half. Awesome. Offense the entire game. Terrific. I no no complaints there except from free throw shooting. And then... Same old, same old happened. And our second half woes came back to bite us once again in the rear end. Yeah. And, and you know, the free throw shooting as bad as the defense was and everything else, um, you know, down the stretch of that game, Buddy Beheim missed one free throw in this game. He's three for four. The one he missed was the front end of a one and one. Syracuse lost by a point. He makes those free throws. Does that mean they win? I mean, it changes the way that both teams operate in the final minute or so. Um, so it's not quite that simple, but you get the point. Despite the fact that Syracuse shot 49% um, from the field and 53% from three, they were, tw- they were 12 of 18 from the free throw line. So, you know, they were 67% still below their average. Um, you know, you'd like to see them make another shot or two there, but um, even still it was, 19 turnovers. You, you can't have that. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, but um, I want to talk a little bit more about that first half. And that first half, I think was the best, as, as I said, the best half of basketball that, that I've seen Syracuse play this season. Um, and if you're looking for a silver lining and you're looking for hope as a Syracuse basketball fan, I think that first half along with some other halves that we've seen, right? Syracuse was really good in the first half against Indiana. Um, They were up by double digits in that half as well. Um, 
again gave up the big lead, but they did end up holding on at two overtimes. Indiana did just upset um, number 13 Ohio State today, by the way. So that win continues to look good for Syracuse. But we've seen them play really good basketball on both ends for essentially an entire half. They haven't done it for a full game yet against quality competition. Certainly that's true, but at least it's not like we haven't seen it other than a possession or two. We've seen it for 15 to 20 minutes. It just doesn't continue. So is this, you know, I, I think if you're looking for a silver lining, it's that it's the fact that Jesse Edwards had 22 points. Um, he's just becoming such a weapon for Syracuse in the middle. And that opens up things for everybody else from the outside. The fact that the Bayheim brothers really struggled to shoot. They were a combined four for 14 from the field only scored a combined 16 points, turned it over seven times combined, and Syracuse still scored 87 points. So the the issue against Virginia was that Buddy Beheim couldn't get any help. The issue in this one is that the Beheim brothers couldn't help anybody else. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a flip the script scenario there. Regardless, the point is, I think some of the dynamic offense that we were thinking would be there in the off season is starting to come around. Joe Girard was seven for 12 from three. He had 26 points. Um, you played him off the ball a little bit with Samir Torrance coming in. He had six assists in 14 minutes. So I do think that that first half could be your silver lining from this game. It is. It definitely is. It's just, we need to see it for more than a half. And that's the problem of the Syracuse team. As you've said, we have not seen this for an entire game yet. I am not going to say we're a good team until we see that level of play for an entire half. I don't care who it's against. I will take literally any opponent. Give me one good game in the entirety of basketball, offense, and defense by Syracuse. Then I'll be convinced that we could do it. Until we see that, I don't care if you play the worst team in Division Three, or if you play Duke. I need to see it against any team just to give me some clarity here because yeah, I could play great defense for one half of basketball if you ask me to, but if I do, I can't do it for entire game. I'm not going to be good enough to play for the team. And Jesse Edwards had seven blocks. That's absurd. That's otherworldly level defense, but everything else on defense fell apart. And the second half, we just collapsed. Everything we were doing on defense, push, gone. Offense yeah, and- put up the, almost the exact same. They put up 43. We put up 44 in the first half. That's if you put 87 <laughs> points on the board, nine times out of 10, you should win. Unless the offense of the other team is just like the Splash Brothers and the Golden State Warrior level team. Unless you face them, putting up 87 points means you should win the game. But with the defense we have, no game is safe. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. And, and the issue... In the second half, what defensively, 
At the beginning of the half, it was the three-point line. Miami made their first six threes of the second half. They were one for 10 from three after that. Now, the one that they hit was when I believe Syracuse had cut the lead to one or two. There was a little over a minute to go. And they're, I don't know, five foot four, however, five foot six, Charlie Moore, uh, their, their starting point guard there. He hit. Uh, one of his, I think all six of his three pointers were at least five or six steps behind the three point line. He hit another one from back there um, that put pushed the lead up to um, it was a three point game at that time. He, and he hit a three to push the lead up to six with, with one minute and one second remaining. So, you know, that was the one three after the first few minutes after they made their first six that they hit was one that was, a critical one in the final minute or so. But after they made those first six, they just attacked the rim relentlessly. And Jesse wasn't as good in terms of blocking shots in, in the second half as he was in the first. I think five of the seven blocks came in the first half. Um, the rotations defensively weren't as good. You know, um, Miami clearly made an adjustment in uh, how they were going to attack Syracuse and, Rather than trying to get the ball into a spot and facilitate from there, they were just having their guards attack as soon as they would catch the ball in the perimeter. And Syracuse struggled against that. And then uh, the turnover issues, 10 turnovers in the second half, Miami completely changed their defensive strategy. They were just kind of hanging out in the half court, playing a a very loose and um, lackadaisical man defense in the first half and Syracuse was dominating it. And then the second half they came out and played full court pressure for, for at least the very beginning of the first half. And then, you know, when they needed to, they did the same thing at different points as well. And that really bothered Syracuse and caused a lot of the turnovers. And then when Syracuse did break the press and they'd get into the half court, Miami was still being aggressive. Now I think there were different times when they were getting away with perhaps a little bit too much contact, but when you're aggressive like that, you know, officials are not going to call fouls every single possession. So you can get away with a little bit more. And Miami took full advantage of that. To be fair, the, in the first half, they let a lot of contact go when Miami was driving and, and that led to some of Jesse Edwards blocks. But, um, you know, Syracuse has to figure out what's going on at halftime, whether it's other coaches making adjustments, figuring out what the zone is doing and reacting to it. So Syracuse has to do something to combat those adjustments or whether it's simply a mental thing, you know, that could be a huge part of it as well. Regardless, um, Syracuse needs to figure out what's going on there. And, um, you know, a point that I brought up a few minutes ago with Buddy Bayheim in the, in the Virginia game that he couldn't get any help. And that was a, a part of the reason why Syracuse lost that game. In this one, it was the Bayheim brothers who couldn't help everybody else out. They were both just really bad in this one. Seven combined turnovers. There was a play um, late in the second half. I think Syracuse had trimmed the lead to two or three, and Jimmy got the ball up on the wing. He took a dribble got by his defender and was going towards the rim for what looked like it was going to be a wide open layup and he dribbled the ball off his foot out of bounds. I mean, it was just Buddy Bayheim 
went to inbound the ball at the end of the first half. Syracuse was up by 16. They get a defensive stop. They call timeout with about 18 seconds to go in the half. And they're drawing up a play to run one more play before half. Worst case scenario, you're going up 16. Best case scenario, you're going up 18 or 19. And instead, Buddy's inbound pass is a little bit lazy. And Miami picks it off. They end up scoring right before the half. And all of a sudden, they've got all the momentum. So there was just something off about both of those guys. And it's it's going to be tough for Syracuse to win, I think, when when those guys are playing back. Even, even if they're not scoring, you can't not score and turn it over at that rate. I was going to say, it's it's tough when you both turn the ball over that much and you don't score. But in all honesty, them not playing well and us playing that well on offense doesn't concern me if that makes any sense, because at the end of the day, you know, our best player is Buddy Beheim. You know, if the ball is in his hands the last 30 seconds, he's going to be the one to get the shot and he most likely will make it regardless of how he's playing that game. He's going to get in the right position. So even if he doesn't play well and Jimmy doesn't play well, that's fine. If we do this on offense that we now can say, okay, there are five guys who can all score the ball. Well, because in the past few weeks, it's past 13 games. It was, the Bayheim show. It was both Buddy and Jimmy being our only top, only scorers. It felt like at times, but now we know everyone else can do the same. So it gives me some hope that we can figure it out. And Buddy is going to draw more pressure on offense. That is just how it's going to work this year. If you didn't come into the season expecting it, well, here you go. Buddy's going to get the double teams. He's going to get more pressure all the time. And if he does that, and Swider and Edwards and Gerard can play like they did and shoot the ball as well as they did. I mean, Gerard and Swider combined for 13 for 21 on threes. That's a very, very nice percentage of threes. Take that and, every game. Oh, any game. If you, if you had told me that they would shoot 53% from three as a team, oh my God, we, we should have lights out dominated this game. And we did until the second half happened and the defense happened. But we were talking about that already. Um, if we get that offensive production from everyone else and then Beheim struggle, I'm fine with it because it means Buddy at least is doing his job of taking the pressure off of himself. Everyone else is doing well. And that then means also later in the game, say Buddy has this game where he's got nine points, I believe. If late in the game, Joe Girard, seven for 12, they're going to start possibly doubling him later. And then Buddy's got one-on-one and I'll take that all day. If Buddy's one on one late in the game, over against instead of double teams, that's it's one of those things that, in the back of the defense's mind, if Joe's shooting better, they're going to double him more than they would Buddy at the end of the game if he's shooting like that. And it's just one of those things we have to see how it plays out throughout the season. But I'm not as concerned about the Bayheims not playing well if it means that this is what it looks like on offense. That we know Buddy will give us 15, 20 points at least every game. This is an outlier of a game for him. We know we'll get the production from him. I'm not concerned. I am happy we could see the production from everyone else on offense to lessen the load on Buddy. So now he knows he doesn't got to play hero ball all the time. He can chill. He can take a break. He can drink a smoothie if he wants to. That's fine. Go for it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to look a little bit more at Jimmy um, because there's there's been a lot of chatter on social media that um, it's time to bench Jimmy and start Benny Williams. And 
as a fan who has benched my starting quarterback with the Eagles and restarted him, you know, three times every game, I, I get the overreaction and the emotions behind it. It's, it's not that the fans don't like Jimmy Bayheim. The fans are trying to come up with a scenario that will make the team better. But what I want to say in response to that, if we can take a step back and try to look at it logically, if you take out the last couple of games from Jimmy Bayheim, which admittedly have not been good, right? He's really struggled in both games, shooting the ball, turning it over, free throw line. He's four for his last 13 from the free throw line, which is awful. Um, prior to that, he's been pretty darn good for him. And he's been clearly the better option as a starting forward. I don't think you take Jimmy out of the starting lineup because he struggled in a couple of games. If you start taking guys in and out of the lineup, every time they have one bad game or a bad couple of sequences or whatever, you're going to change your starting lineup every other game. And I don't think that benefits everybody. Keep the starting lineup the same. That said, this goes into our, our next segment here about some of the players on the bench is Benny Williams gave Syracuse some good minutes in this game. He only played nine of them, but he was very good defensively closing off drivers, um, setting up a couple of double teams, being in better position. He's quicker so he can cover more ground than Jimmy. So I think that there's some things that you can put him in there for in depending on game scenario. And I do think that he deserves more than nine minutes based on how comfortable I've seen him in the last couple of games. He had a three-pointer in, in that game. He had a three-pointer against Miami. It was his first of the season. He was over six previously, and it was a Buddy Bayheim drove and kicked it out to Benny Williams for three, which is kind of the opposite of how everyone would think it would actually work. But um, he's he's looks much more comfortable, much more confident. Um, Jim Bayheim isn't saying anything negative about him and his contributions in, in the postgame press conference. So it seems that he's gaining the trust of the coaching staff as he continues to work and develop. So your, your minute split here was 32 for Jimmy and nine for, for Benny. I think that that, that should probably shrink a little bit. I'm not saying you, you jump, jump it down to uh, drop it down to 2020 and just give him an even split, but maybe you're, 28-12, 27 27-13, 26-14. And he's depending on, you know, there's going to be games where Benny's going to revert back and not quite play as well. And, you know, you give Jimmy and Jimmy's going to be playing really well. So you alter it game to game based on some of those things. But I think Benny has earned some more time. I think he can come in for Colts wider as well and gives you some uh, flexibility in your rotation. But you know, if you're having issues defensively and you've got a guy in Benny Williams who's a better option defensively, it makes sense to play him a little bit more. And the the stat I'll give you in this Miami game is the box score included a plus minus. The best player for Syracuse in plus minus was Benny Williams at plus nine in nine minutes. The worst player for Syracuse in the plus minus was Jimmy Beheim at minus 10 in 32 minutes. Now, Plus minus can be misleading at times, and it's not the end-all be-all. It's not necessarily a reflection of how well those players are playing. But the point is, you're not throwing Benny Williams out there and having a catastrophic drop off a cliff in terms of how your team's playing. And so, given how talented he is, 
given his potential, I'd throw him out there for a few more minutes of the game, see how it goes. Same thing with Samir Torrance. He played 14 minutes, six assists in, four, in those 14 minutes. He's not going to score for you, but he can come in for Buddy. He can come in for Swider. He can come in for Joe. You can put Joe at the two and Buddy at the three. You can keep Buddy at the two. Gives you a lot of options, but he brings you ball handling. He's more aggressive up top defensively, and he is a better facilitator than what Joe Girard is. So I think those guys getting a, a few more minutes here and there can help this team as they move forward. I have everything you said is on point. Firstly, in terms of Benny Williams, I, I prefer him to be on the bench than to start. Because you let Jimmy get hot if he doesn't shoot well to start. Okay, bring Benny in for a few minutes. Let him run a little bit. Get Jimmy cool off. Let him come back in later. Try and get back on the horse shooting the ball. That's perfectly fine with me. Benny on 10 to 15 minutes, somewhere in that range to just for now, would be awesome. That would be an ideal scenario. Or you bring him in for Cole if Jimmy's playing well, Cole's not. That's also cool with me. And then in terms of Samir, as you said, He's just more aggressive. That's the plain, simple truth that he's playing really well. He's playing aggressively. Again, we brought him in to be aggressive and to do everything perfectly. 14 minutes for him is good. I want that to be 20. I think he needs to be that sixth man for us because in recent years, we haven't really had a sixth man. We've kind of had seven, eight. We've never had a sixth man. I think he can be our sixth man. You bring him in off the bench, make him your sixth man. Make Benny Williams your defensive replacement for Jimmy or Cole if you need. That feels like a good start. That seven-man rotation is what a championship team is built off of. If you have a good seven-man rotation, which it feels like right now, that's what we're looking at in terms of our guys. That looks good. It's just as the season goes on, as you said, as they both earn the trust of the coaching staff, they'll both get more minutes. I think at the end of the season, I want to see Samir... With 20, he can replace a multitude of guys. Give him 20 minutes total. Give Benny 10 to 15, somewhere in there. Lessen the load on the other guys. Give them a bit of a break. That, in an ideal world, sounds awesome. I don't see yeah, a problem. And, and if, if your starters, um, absent Jesse Edwards, if your other four starters are playing 30 to 32 minutes a game instead of 35 to 38 minutes a game, I think that makes their 30 to 32 minutes more impactful as well. Um, the only guy that I'm good with playing like 38 to 40 minutes a game is Jesse Edwards because yeah, the yeah, drop. I, I know that Frank Anselm has given Syracuse some good minutes this year. He made four critical free throws in that Indiana game in, I think it was the second overtime that if he doesn't make those Syracuse loses, he has done some good things. And I do like um, the improvement he's made since last year. There's no question that Jesse Edwards is better on both ends than Frank is. And the drop-off is, I think, significant. Um, so, yeah, you can play Frank, you know, five to eight minutes a game. I was going to say, I think if you, if you need him for, especially if there's if Jesse's in foul trouble, yeah, play him. I'm cool with that. That's fine. But as right, you said, but keep Jesse in. He's really, he's really the only one that, you know, I'm, if you can get 35, 38 minutes a game from him, um, you know, if he can stay out of foul trouble, like I'm, I'm good with him playing 35, 38 minutes a game, everyone else, you know, and, and obviously if buddy's having a ridiculously hot game and, you know, a game or two, he plays 35 to 38 because of it, I'm fine with that. But, you know, when he's not playing as well or, or, you know, 
game situation dictates. He only plays 32, whatever the case. You know, I, I think with the way that Samir and Benny have started to play, you can do that a little bit more often and keep guys fresh and, um, you know, have their minutes be more impactful. And then you're also showing teams a different look, right? I mean, the, the more they see the same thing over and over again, uh, the easier it is for them to combat that on both ends. So you start sending some guys that are a little bit more athletic, a little quicker, that have a different skill set, and it forces teams to adjust. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it's why in football, when you're an offense, you want to be balanced. If, if you do something really, really well, i.e. Syracuse running the football with Sean Tucker, but you do something else that's not very good, i.e. throwing the football, it's a lot easier for teams to defend your offense, even if you have that one thing that's, you know, exceedingly great. If you have your other elements that is decent, good, solid, it makes your great element that much better. So Syracuse has a team that can really shoot the ball well. They struggle defensively. If you can bring in guys that for a few minutes here and there, you know, five to eight minutes a half can ramp up the defense a little bit, even if the offense takes a little bit of a step back during that time, I I think that can make the minutes when they're not on the floor that much better because teams are adjusting to a different style of play. So if I'm Syracuse and I'm trying to figure out ways to turn this thing around, that's where I'm focused. Um, now, before we get into the last uh, the, the last couple of segments here, when uh, before we look at the next two games for Syracuse basketball coming up, I want to talk about turnovers um, and defense. And I know we've discussed the Syracuse defense has been bad and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to give some numbers kind of behind the second half defense. And that is in all games, Syracuse has played 14 games so far this season. In all games, Syracuse is averaging allowing 32 points in the first half of games and 42 in the second half of games. Teams are scoring 10 more points per half in the second half. Obviously not good. Field goal percentage-wise, it supports that scoring number. Teams are shooting 37% in the first halves and 47% in the second halves. From three-point range, it's a similar story. 31% from three in the first half of games, 42% in the second half of games. To make matters worse, it gets even more of a difference to the negative side in Syracuse's seven losses. If you look at just the seven losses for Syracuse this season, they are giving up 34 points a game, points per half in the first half, and 47 in the second half. That's a difference of 13. 47 points and a half in college basketball as your average is that's that's like a 94 point per game pace. That's awful. Um, Syracuse goes from outscoring teams by three points in the first halves to being outscored by 13 in the second halves. So what you're saying is we're losing 94 to 68 every game. Correct. Oh my God. Based on so then you look at shooting percentages in the first half of these games, Syracuse is shooting 43% overall and 41% from three in the second half. That number drops to 38% overall and 30% from three. So there's a 10% drop in Syracuse's three point shooting in the second half of games. But then 
This is where the numbers you thought that the point differential was bad. Don't tell me opponent shooting percentage. Don't tell me it can get any worse, Mike. It does. It does. Opponents are shooting 36% overall in the first half of games, 53% in the second half of games. Excuse me, how much? 53% in the second half. Then, but three point shooting, 32% in the first half of games. 55% in the second half of games. Teams are shooting 55% in Syracuse's seven losses. Teams have shot 55% from three in the second half of games. I'm sorry. So what you're saying, just for listeners at home, if you shoot 100 threes in the first half, you make 32 of them. If you shoot 100 in the second half, make 55 of them. I'm no mathematician. That's a lot. 23 more threes per half you shot that much is not good. No. No, and and if you if you look at, you know, you want to take, you know, how how do you quantify that in terms of of points, right? So look at what um Miami Miami shot 30 total three-pointers against Syracuse. Uh 14 in the first half and 16 in the second half. So if you just use 30 three-pointers as an example, if you're shooting uh, 32% from three in the first half of game, so you take half of those threes, right? So that's 15, 32%. That means you're making about five of those. So if you're making 55%, you're making eight of those. So that's another three three-pointers, which is an extra nine points. And as we said, teams are scoring... 13 more points per half in the second halves of games. That's why right there, it's the three extra three pointers is nine of your extra 13 points. So the extra four points that you're giving up inside, you can absorb, especially if you have a double digit lead, like Syracuse did it against Georgetown and against Miami. It's the extra nine points that you can't combat. That's what kills Syracuse. So you take the fact that, not only are teams shooting that much better, but Syracuse is shooting that much worse. And it just all snowballs and teams just gain momentum and, and Syracuse just can't get out of those funks. So, you know, that's, those are the numbers. So when we talk about Syracuse's defense is bad in the second half, we see it with our own eyes, the numbers support it. And, you know, I know turnovers were costly in this game. They had 19 of them. But it's not like Syracuse is having 19 turnovers on a regular basis. So I take that more as a, yeah, it's a situation. You need to deal with it and you need to talk to your team about ball security and all those things. But I think the defense, especially in the second half, is more the theme and the commonality across the whole season that's really been the biggest issue that they have to fix going forward. Come for the takes. Stay for the numbers, folks. Just seeing how at least Miami in the one game we're discussing right now, just seeing how they played again, 14 steals in a game should not happen. Doesn't happen in the pros, shouldn't happen in college. For an idea of what we had, we had five steals. Three times as many Miami had. Uh-huh. Three times. And again, just based on the numbers, if you let them steal the ball nine more times a game. That is nine extra possessions you give them. Now, obviously, that doesn't fully work out at the end. That's sometimes a block here or there 
or something happens here or there, whatever. Uh, a missed shot sometimes can count a turnover if you want it to be. I know in the case of in the NBA, Russell Westbrook, some of his shots count as turnovers basically, but we're not discussing those. <laughs> we're discussing just the raw numbers here. 14 to 5 in the steals column. Not good. That is nine extra sh- possible shots that Miami can have. We out rebounded them. That's something we've discussed all season that we can't do. We have never not rebounded a team well. We are one of the worst in the nation. Out rebounding them, out shooting them. It all should have been perfect. It looks great. Like numerically, it looks awesome. That is why. And I know we just brought up the numbers, but sometimes the stat guys, the ones who the analytics people who always like analytics matter most, that's where you're wrong sometimes because just purely on an entire game perspective, the numbers lie to you. On the half perspective, it's very clear what the problem is. Our second halves are equivalent to Atlanta Falcons. That's where we're looking here. We're giving up 28 to three leads every game. That should not happen. If that happens over the course of an entire season, if this continues the entire season, I honestly don't know what to say. That I don't know if Jim Beheim's like going into the halftime locker room and saying, good job, guys, take a 10-minute nap. Or if they're just poorly game planning at half. He's a great coach. We all know he is. But this is awful. If you know they're going to change up something in the second half, the other team, you should change something up too. Yes, the if it ain't broke, don't fix it thing is one of my favorite sayings to use. But if it ain't broke, they're going to see that and they're going to break it. So you expect them to break it. So you do something else and get something else to work. Okay. If it doesn't work to start the half, fine. Figure it out as you go. But there is a clear problem at halftime. that It feels like Jim Beheim is not doing diddly. And other coaches are doing perfectly. So from with, with that said, we will take a look at Syracuse's next opponent, which is the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. <clears throat> they currently sit at 12 and three on the season. They are two and two in conference play. They have had a, a pretty good season so far. I don't think anyone really expected much from them this year. And yet they've done a nice job at adding some talent in the portal and developing their players. They've beaten, um, you know, some power conference teams in Oregon state and Northwestern. They did lose to um, LSU, but LSU is a ranked team who just knocked off Kentucky. I believe They blew out a Virginia Tech team that people thought was going to be pretty good this year, lost a close game to Louisville, lost a close game at Miami, and then they just beat the Florida State team that Syracuse beat, um, you know, a a couple weeks ago. They beat that team by 22 uh, on Tuesday. So they are good. They can score. Uh, They have one of the best players in the ACC in Alondis Williams who is averaging 20 points, six rebounds, and five assists per game. He is a senior 6'5 guard who spent his last few seasons at Oklahoma, so he is a a portal addition that has worked well. Um, Not a great outside shooter. He's at 32%, but a decent one. Um, As a team, Lake Forest shoots about 33%. They've got uh, one of the best field goal percentage players in the conference in Jake LaRavia, who is a six, eight forward. He's shooting 61% from the floor, 39% from three averages, 15.6 rebounds, three and a half assists a game. 
they've got some good players on this team. There's no question about that. Uh, David Williamson is averaging 13 points a game. They're six, one uh, point guard. So I've got some good players. Uh, they've have a good record. They're really tough at home. Um, Alondis Williams, by the way, is actually leading the ACC in assists. He is number two in scoring. Um, they're, they've just been a really good team so far this season. I think this is going to be a tremendous test. I actually thought that, um, Syracuse's best chance to split these two road games was against Miami as Wake Forest is the number two scoring team in the conference over 80 points per game. Um, now just like Miami, they're not that good of a defensive team. Um, they're 11th in the conference in defense, but, uh, Syracuse is 15th in the conference in defense, which is dead last. So, uh, Wake Forest is also number two in scoring margin. Um, they're a good free throw shooting team. They're fifth in the conference there, um, third in shooting percentage, but, uh, down at 10th at three point shooting percentage. So, um, you know, it's, they're going to be a a tough out. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, Decent rebounding team, not a great rebounding team. Um, They don't block a ton of shots. So, you know, there's, there's some things Syracuse can exploit. I think, Um, you know, Wake doesn't force a ton of turnovers, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I think this is, this is an opportunity if, if you want to sort of send a statement that, you know, the season isn't over and Syracuse isn't dead yet, you, you figure out a way to win this game. And then right after that, you've got a bad pit team coming to your place uh, that you can, you know, perhaps start to get a little streak going. But um, I think Syracuse will have an opportunity to score in this game, but it's going to come down to do they look more like the first half against Miami defensively or do they look more like the second half against Miami defensively? Yeah, you nailed it around the head. Offense will come through. We always know that. But the problem is going to be Wake scoring. If Alonis Williams has a good game, I don't think we win this game. I'm going to be completely honest. That we need to lock down. We need to have just one game. Please, Syracuse. Just one good defensive game. The last time we held a team under 60, because we held Florida State 260, Last team we held under 60 for those keeping track at home was nobody. No one's, they've scored over 60 every single game. Usually at this point, you see some teams putting up 50s. Sometimes a very high 40 happens with a good defensive display. The lowest we've had is 60, and it's been twice. That's not great. Again, we're the worst defensive team in the ACC. That is very problematic. If that defense shows up against Wake Forest, we're being run out of the gym. That is just what's going to happen. Our offense will always be there. We always know that. It'll always play well enough. It'll get us 80-some-odd points. That's cool with me. But if we give up 90, if we give up 94, as we said the numbers state we should, if we play our second-half defense, we will not win another game. We need to put up points, and more than anything, our defense has to play like it is in division one. Cause right now it's playing like it's an LA fitness defense that a bunch of the guys showed up a little bit out of shape on um, about half an hour of sleep. They're just not playing well on defense. And this has to change. If anything is going to change. And as you said, if we can rattle off this win, head into pit, get that win, 
beat Florida State once. We can do it again on our home turf, beat them, head into that Clemson and Duke stretch with a three-game win streak. I feel really good. But if we can't, I am terrified for how this season could snowball. Yeah, and and you know, the, the last thing I'll say to wrap this up is I always find the mental aspect of the game fascinating. Syracuse is seven and seven. Basically, every Syracuse fan has given up on this team, right? I mean, even the most optimistic, positive, diehard, bleed orange fans are looking at this team and going, well, they're not any good. I don't see much hope for them getting a ton better. They're still going to watch because it's their team and they're just going to hope for the best. But um, how does a team come out after losing two games that it feels like it should have won? And everyone in the world is talking crap about them, about how bad they are. And the only people that would have any belief in their abilities are inside that locker room. How does that team come out and play on the road against a good team? Do they play like they did against Miami and scrap and fight and keep on? I mean, because to Syracuse's credit, Miami goes on their run. They take control of the game left, uh, take control of the game in the second half. It felt like they were going to run Syracuse out of the gym. But the lead never got really more than about six or so points. Syracuse kept, I think it might have got to seven or eight somewhere, you know, once or twice. But Syracuse kept battling and kept battling and and kept giving themselves chances. So that's a positive that, that they're still fighting and that they're still putting forth that effort. But now, after you've done that, two games in a row and lost your seven and seven. It's the worst 14 game start in Jim Beheim's hall of fame career. Now you're going up against another good team on the road with all of this negativity surrounding everything that they're doing. If you're mentally weak, this is a very easy game to get blown out by 20 or 30 points and not really be competitive. If you have mentally strong leaders on that team, do they rally around, use that as a rallying cry, come together and, and put a good performance against Wake Forest, even whether or not they win is a step, separate story. But I'll be fascinated to see how that plays out, how this team comes out and, and what their um, mental approach is to that game. But that'll do it for episode 27 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman and Sausage Company. I'm Mike McAllister for Kyle F, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.